The Free for All Roundtable. Round one. On round one this morning, Dave Trafford is here, host and producer of On the Ledge, the Ontario Politics Podcast. Courtney Betty is here from Betty's Law. Understandably, he's a lawyer. Jerry Agar from the Jerry Agar Show from 9 to noon. Uh, hard to know where to start, except maybe we can uh, begin digging into the latest shenanigans in Ottawa. Where, um, Dave, let me start with you on this one. Who thinks it's a good idea to appoint an interim ethics officer who happens to be the sister-in-law of a sitting cabinet minister? who is also Justin Trudeau's best friend. Anyone? Hands up. Hands up. Oh, only the liberals in the room. Oh, only half the liberals in the room. I mean, seriously. There was somebody kicked out of the federal caucus, uh, the liberal caucus, because she hired her sister-in-law to work in her office. Right. This is okay? I mean, what the hell? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not decided on this, John, at all. Okay. Uh, Courtney, Betty, I just, like, sometimes I can't even wrap my head around how they think in the inner circle, except that I've always understood that it seems that Justin Trudeau and his advisors all think they're the smartest guys in the room at all times. Well, John, I mean, when you look at the power of Dominic LeBlanc, I mean, he's one of the most powerful individuals uh, in terms of his closeness to Trudeau and the advice that he gives to the government and how the government functions. I mean, this is just, in my view, incredibly unbelievable that we, they would even think of it. A critical position such as the Ethics Commission to a point, it's, it's just wrong. And, uh, and an indication, again, is to a feeling, as you said, that the liberals are of the view that they're untouchable. And maybe they're right. And Jerry, somebody's got to call Alanis Morissette because the irony here is she's not being appointed as director general of the department. She's being appointed ethics officer. Mm-hmm. Am I the one that falls to me to defend the liberals? Here's, uh, no, because, uh, oh. Dave, Dave, you mentioned the other case of the woman who hired, was it her sister or sister-in-law that she hired? I think it was sister-in-law. And that was yeah. okay. Yeah. I think she and was running her office or something. It, it like was a sole source kind of thing that she did, and I think there were mistakes made there. But in this case, here's the question I want to ask. Um, the, the woman who's bring, being brought in on this uh, ethics job has a resume that suggests that she'd be able to do the job. She was brought into it initially by Stephen Harper. And so is it the case that if somebody I'm related to suddenly gets a political job, any opportunity that might be interesting to me is now off the table because my doofus cousin got uh, elected uh, somehow, and and now a a bunch of avenues of opportunity are closed to me. I'm not 100% convinced this is the travesty that you guys seem to think it is. Okay, now I'm waiting for the phone call from Satan that hell has just frozen over. (laughs) Okay. Um, the probe I'm waiting for a big check from Justin. To the Nova Scotia shooting spree uh, exposes, perhaps not surprisingly, a great deal of weakness in the RCMP. Uh, Courtney Betty, I'll start with you on this one. I find myself preoccupied by how many people died who might not have died if this thing had been handled properly. Well, John, you know, I developed the crime prevention program for the RCMP in Ontario a few years back. One of the challenges that we have is that in local jurisdictions, the RCMP is not the same as Metro Police. The level of training is totally different. And I think what we have to begin, the key part for me is to look at what is the role of the RCMP in those locations where it actually is the main police force, not just enforcing federal statutes. I think uh, 
The kind of screw-ups that we see here are just unbelievable. But again, it goes back to the fundamental basis of the role of the RCMP, which is not to provide local policing, except in certain exceptions. Jerry, one of the really disturbing aspects in all of this is that they sat on the information, and this turned into a shooting spree that lasted like, you know, almost, what was it, like 16 hours? I, I would give the police a little bit of a break in the very beginning of the thing. The initial reports you get in a tragedy like this are very often wrong, and I could understand police getting a call and somebody saying, well, it's a police officer who's doing all of the shooting. And they might go, wait a minute, like, we're not going to go public with that right off the top, because then every police officer is out there can't do their job because everybody thinks they're a killer. Um, but but then I think that the indication seems to be that once they did know, once they knew what they were dealing with, they held back that information and that uh, that led to, to more death, as you suggested. Yeah, Dave Trafford, shooting sprees are usually over in minutes. And this one, the guy actually got to take a break. Well, yeah. You know what this reminds me of, though? Uh, two things. First, the the whole um, the, the need for this kind of inquiry, I think, is punctuated by the specifics in the report. And that is to say, there isn't a lot in here that we hadn't heard if you were sort of following along in the media as the commission was hearing testimony, etc. But now that it's all in one place, the, uh, the, the, the collective impact of all of this, I think, is fairly uh, significant. But it reminds me of that series, that HBO series called Five Days at Memorial. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but that's the whole, uh, the five days at this hospital in New Orleans after Katrina. The same kind of sort of this chaos theory, one thing happens and all everything else, all hell breaks loose, uh, to the point where there's no logical reason for all of these people dying, except we weren't ready. We didn't know how to respond. It just is frightening to see the, the, the depth or the level of incompetence that led to all of this. It's you know, Donald Trump is such an irregular person that it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around how precedent setting it is that for the first time, uh, a president of the United States, an ex-president, is being indicted. I would say that it's the least compelling case so far that's been marshaled against him. But, uh, Jerry, I'll start with you. Um, my own theory here is that I mean, there are a lot of people who are trying to disrupt his path back to the White House, but I also think that he doesn't have a path back to the White House anymore. Many of those people are Republicans. Yes. By the way, they just don't They're want just to... waiting for that bucket of water on the Wicked Witch of the East. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would be surprised if this would end up uh, going so far as he goes to jail. This is a financial thing. Um, it, it, it's not, uh, you know, he didn't go and kill somebody. or um, he, he tried to hide information. And I remember people come running to the defense of uh, Bill Clinton. Well, everybody lies about sex. Okay. Uh, well, that's what he was doing, was uh, lying about sex. Um, and if, they're, if they get a conviction and there's a penalty to pay, then he can pay it. But I, I, I don't think he's going to jail, do you? No, I don't think so. Because even if he gets convicted, that'll be satisfying enough for some. And I think then a president will uh, pardon him. But Courtney Betty, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of Al Capone. They didn't get him for being a gangster. They got him for... For tax evasion well john it's interesting you know how you started off here because i've been kind of following this story and i think what the prosecutor in new york has actually done which is a mistake in my view is giving trump a platform you know he's been out there on the sidelines a little bit not told but this is now i mean you look at the media frenzy that's happening in new york i mean trump loves that this is what he lives for and we've just handed it to him. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I think, Dave Trafford, people always say there's no such thing as bad publicity. I think there's bad publicity. 
We've normalized that that behavior, though, now, and th- thanks in large part to Donald Trump. I mean, we've just, ah, it's just Donald Trump, so we've accepted, oh, we've indicted a former president. Ah, it's just Donald Trump. It's okay. Um, I, I, I just think the other shoes are going to drop here in the other investigations. So whether or not he got, has the platform um, immediately because of what is seen as a frivolous or more frivolous charge, I think is going to be an exception. But, you know, I, I heard uh, David Schultz on your show this morning. Uh, he and I were talking about I guess a week or so ago, and David suggested that the thing we should be looking for is in October, November-ish, if the numbers suggest that Donald Trump will not be getting the GOP nomination, don't be at all surprised if he steps out and becomes an independent candidate, a third-party candidate, and he will take that 30% core with him, and how disruptive will that be to the presidential campaign in 2024. Yeah. So he ain't, it ain't over yet. John, you're right when you say there can be bad publicity, but this isn't bad publicity when your brand is, they're just against me and you. And here we go again. Exactly. Yeah. Amen. Yep. Yep. He's going to coast on it, I'm sure. Uh, I found this article in the Toronto Star today about where you can and cannot uh, spread human ashes. Uh, fascinating. And apparently, you can't drink in a park, but Jerry, you can spread somebody's ashes. I was <laughs> Surprised to learn, um, I you know the the they were doing sort of a question and answer I think in this article and it was can you spread them on public property or in the lake or whatever and I thought no and they said yes actually you can because the remains are uh, cooked at such a high temperature that there's nothing dangerous about them they're actually not uh, noxious or whatever term I should be using so you can spread them on Lake Ontario you can spread them uh, in a park wherever you want to put them except uh, they said <laughs> apparently somebody. Uh, once decided to uh, spread them at Rogers Center, and they landed on a cameraman. Yeah, no, somebody tried to spread them during, I think, a baseball game. Yeah. And you're not allowed to do that. And Dave Trafford, you're also not allowed to put them in the log ride at Disneyland. Yeah, don't spread them on toast. There's a lot of <laughs> number of places where you shouldn't spread them. <laughs> oh my God! I'm just you curious, John. What, what was it that attracted you to this story this morning? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is definitely definitely a deadly story. Okay, I mean, listeners will know that I have a certain preoccupation with the death industry, whether it be the show Six Feet Under or Thomas Lynch, who is a poet and undertaker who writes these incredible essays. I just find it very compelling and. You know, for example, why do we care where our cremains go? Because people always say, I want you to spread them on top of a mountain where it has a beautiful view, whatever. I mean, people are preoccupied by these things. Or maybe, Courtney, Betty, you think I'm nuts, too. Um, no, I don't. I just uh, feel that everyone should have that choice as to what they think their final resting place should be. But I, I, I do find it a little bit scary, though, that you could spread this wherever you decide almost, which is what we're hearing. Yeah, well, just so people who are taking notes uh, know, you can pretty well scatter funeral ashes Where will we spread you, John? Where shall we (laughs) prepare? I don't know. i got to make up my mind. I used to say I actually didn't want to be buried anywhere, but I wouldn't mind having a marker at Mount Pleasant. I go go along with Woody Allen, who said, I don't have anything against death. It's just that I don't want to be there when it happened. (laughs) (laughs) We also have uh, the great words of King Charles. It is wunderbar. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all. Jerry Agar, Courtney Betty and Dave Trafford. That kind of came unhinged, but I enjoyed the conversation. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.